Rogers. I'm Margot Britfield. And I'm Julia Rogers. Welcome to Gap Year Radio, the show that brings you information and inspiration to plan a life-changing Gap Year adventure. Today, you are going to hear from Gary Robinson of P3 Mental Health. Gary has dedicated himself for over 30 years to helping high school and college-age students to maximize their potential and overcome barriers to learning. His clinical specialties have included stress management, mood and anxiety disorders, and life coaching and mentoring. He has also spent a number of years working with various gap year and summer programs for field staff training as well as crisis management consulting while students are in the field. So what did you and Gary talk about, Margot, especially in the context of this particular moment in time? Yes, we actually, I feel that most of our conversation was involving the pandemic that we are all experiencing right now and how that is affecting gap year students who are currently on their gap year and maybe have that time disrupted due to COVID. We also chat a bit about, you know, students who are in college as, as Gary does work full time at a college and, you know, in, in the university setting, discussing online learning and what colleges are considering for the fall and how this might be affecting students in terms of mental health. We also discuss students planning their gap year in the midst of all this which is is challenging to say the least with so much uncertainty of what next year holds. And he also provides a number of really useful tips and ideas for people to cope with mental health issues that might be arising during quarantine and isolation and and being home during this time. So uh, a lot of self-reflective things or silver linings and tools that people can use no matter who you are to help you deal with what we're all experiencing right now. That sounds good. I like I like wellness tips. What are Margo, <laughs> what, what are you doing to self-care for yourself during this period of time? That has definitely been an important piece of, of my sanity while I've been stuck at home a lot of the times alone. I personally, one of my main things that I do to kind of de-stress and center myself, and I certainly have not been doing enough of it since we've been in quarantine, but exercise is a huge release for me. So I've been trying to get back into running as the weather's been getting nicer, which has been great. I've also been doing virtual daily PE with my nine-year-old nephew in California uh, via Zoom, which has been a great deal of fun. Um, and I do, I journal, I that's a big outlet for me. And otherwise I'm, as I know you are as well, Julia, I am somebody that thrives on productivity. And so a lot of free time can be challenging. So I make to-do lists for myself and have been getting through a lot of spring cleaning and house projects, which has been keeping me busy and feeling productive at home during all of this. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What are you doing to stay mentally well? Well, I I think that the thing that I do most frequently is that I've been tuning into D-Nice's dance parties uh, at D-Nice on Instagram. He does all these amazing uh, virtual dance parties where you can wear your wireless headphones and just jam and dance in your living room. And you, I mean, it goes back to that phrase, like dance like no one's watching. You can just look as ridiculous as you want and it does not matter. So I've actually, I I think I might even prefer it to being out in public dancing. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah. And then last night I indulged in a very long bath while watching little fires everywhere and eating a lot of ice cream, like a big bowl of ice cream. So that was also <laughs> the opposite of dancing or exercising, but still therapeutic in its own way. You gotta do what what feels good for you right now. And I will certainly say there has been a lot of guilty pleasure food eaten and a lot of Netflix watched in this house in the past month, more so than I care <laughs> to admit. On top of our somewhat productive days, a lot of um, kind of vegging out and just trying to yeah, stay, stay connected and stay well during all of this. Well, thank goodness it's spring. I know the weather is finally, we're finally getting good weather here in Oregon and we're supposed to be in the 70s next week. So I am personally oh, very so excited nice. for that. <laughs> for sure. Well, I can't wait to hear your you know, conversation with Gary so that we can get more hot tips on how to stay, how to stay well in this moment in time. Absolutely. Very insightful from Gary. So thank you all for being here and let's get started. 
much for taking time to join us today on the pod amidst your very busy schedule. Thanks, Margo. No, it's actually my pleasure to be here. I hope I can be of some assistance. (laughs) Yes, while we're all stuck at home, we're hoping that there's some students out there that this episode might benefit. But for those of you who might be unfamiliar, Gary is joining us today from P3 Mental Health Consulting, which is an organization that I know ARC has been working with along with a number of other companies in both the gap year and summer programming space. He wears a lot of hats, but one of them, at least in, in regards to us here, is helping to create a safe space for participants during their experiences with various programs. And so, Gary, can you maybe just start by giving us a little bit of an overview of your mission and purpose with P3 and how you got here. Sure. So P3 started about five years ago. And um, ironically, it doesn't mean that um, that there's three individuals running it. P3 stands for uh, protect, prepare, and prevent. And there are three of us, but that's not why we call it P3. Um, there's three folks involved, myself, and then there's um, Jamie based in San Francisco and Laura in Denver, and I'm in New York. And um, the three of us are all full-time therapists uh, working in college and university counseling center environments. And what's a little different about us is that we all had life-changing experiences early on in our lives or careers in the whole adventure, experiential education, or study abroad worlds. And we saw how much of an impact that made on us as younger people. And we decided that, um, you know, the field really needed mental health specialists because sort of we jokingly say, wherever you go, there you are. So if you've got any challenges in your home environment or in your college environment or in your high school environment and stress has kind of taken a toll on you, Um, When you go abroad or when you go on domestic programs, even you're living in a group environment, it's rather stressful. It's a lot of fun. It's eye opening and and exciting, but it is difficult at times. And mental health challenges are going to follow you wherever you go. So we saw sort of a need for um, a a niche consulting group, if you will, of therapists who had um, personal experience working in the adventure or experiential industries. And we put P3 together. And since then, it's been a lot of fun. We've had a chance to travel and get to know a lot of um, organizations like ARC and a lot of gap year programs and a lot of study abroad programs in universities, as well as um, teenage experiential uh, service learning programs during summers. So that's sort of a little bit on the background of P3. Awesome. And I know that Gary also does, you do a number of trainings and such for industry professionals that are either program leaders or field instructors and such to help prepare them for situations they might face in the field, which I think has been a great service to this industry and people that are working with young young adults uh, who might be dealing with mental health issues. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun doing the training. That represents probably about 40% of what we do um, as far as either virtual webinar-based training or in-person training when we go out and meet with organizations face-to-face. And what we're doing is not trying to turn anybody into a therapist per se, but just helping staff to have more tools in their toolbox, if you will, to help them um, address the mental health challenges that students are likely to experience on these programs. And then another big part to what we do is crisis management on call. So if an organization has a student that is having some difficulty 
and yet they're not entirely sure how to proceed, they can give us a call and we can kind of coach them and walk them through. And then the last thing we do is kind of like document review and help with the admissions process to make sure that the students that are uh, enrolling in particular programs, be they study abroad or gap year or whatever, uh, are really ready and appropriate for the program. So th those are kind of the three things that we do. But training is definitely a really big piece to what we do. And so for me personally, it's one of the most fun because we get to really get to know staff and help them through some situations that otherwise maybe they would have even more difficulty managing. Absolutely. I know that, that those services are, are so helpful to organizations. And, and like you said, just making sure that a student is in the right fit for them in a place that they can really be successful and, and thrive. And I'm also just curious, you know, I know you working in the experiential education realm, as well as your work full-time at the college that I know you work at. I, I think that I know we've seen just in the past five years or so to throw a ballpark out there, just an increase in students that are dealing with mental health issues. And not to say that this is a bad thing. I think it's just something that we all are, are dealing with. And especially right now in the midst of this crisis and pandemic that we are all living in, you know, I'm curious, maybe what are some of the bigger mental health concerns you've seen as students or, or trends you've seen in the past few years for students coming out of high school or young adults who are in the university age range? You know, the research in mental health of um, younger people, high, late high school, early college age students, is that there's two really predominant issues that we're seeing a spike in in the, in the last, like you said, uh, about five years, uh, and that's depression and anxiety. I, I view it really positively, though, because I've been in the field a long time, the counseling field a long time, and I've seen a real sea change, a kind of a real culture shift. Um, Whereas a number of years ago when I first started, um, there was a lot of um, stigma. There was a lot of uh, stereotyping of people who were struggling with mental health challenges. And now there's greater acceptance and really an embracing of people's mental health issues, realizing that it's just exactly like physical health. It all exists within our body. It just happens that mental health issues exist more in the brain or originate more in the brain, but that they're very similar. Uh, in many respects to physical health issues. So there's been a greater openness, a lowering of stigma, and these are all really positive things. In fact, I've, uh, like I said, I've been a therapist for a number of years working with college students, and this is probably the most exciting time to be doing the kind of work that I'm doing because of the increased acceptance and openness of uh, folks to talk about mental health issues. Absolutely. And I, I think that is one of the most important pieces of this is kind of getting rid of overcoming a stigma that might be associated with that. And that, you know, seeing a therapist and and, and working on your mental health, yes, is part of that bigger picture of, of your whole body health is a really important thing to support and, and celebrate and, um, and stick behind. So it's awesome to hear that that's what you're seeing. Definitely seeing those trends in the last five years. Now, with the recent um, crisis that we're undergoing, a worldwide crisis that it is, it's really unprecedented. That word has been used a lot on the news, but I don't, and I don't want to um, overstate it, but it truly is unprecedented what we're dealing with with COVID-19. And there's, you know, really dramatic impacts on mental health, um, such that anyone who pre-COVID-19 struggled tend to be struggling more now. But we're also seeing people that, you know, didn't have diagnosable or, you know, long-term histories uh, uh, of mental health issues that are really beginning to struggle. And it's completely normal. And the way that we put this is that it's a completely normal reaction to an abnormal situation. And that's a, one of the healthier ways, I think, to look at this, that this is a very unusual 
as I said, unprecedented, kind of an abnormal situation. So to have mental health symptomology beginning to pop during this really tricky time is completely normal. And what we're seeing now since the, um, the virus has hit and spread and created tragic impacts are things like um, isolation. Um, we know we have to stay at home. We understand that. It's government orders. And we know that without that, we're going to have an even bigger problem. But um, people are isolating and they're taking the social distancing even beyond the scope of what it was intended to do. And they're just creating a lot of uh, a lot of isolation, a lot of loneliness. We're seeing a lot of stress. Sometimes we're seeing the stress become so profound that it's it, it enters into a diagnosable term called anxiety. We're seeing a lot of sadness in students because of change and, and change that was out of their control. And sometimes that sadness is bridging into a more diagnosable condition that we call that we call depression. And then the last thing we're seeing is just people struggling a lot with the uncertainty and the unpredictability of this entire situation. Yeah, I think there's so much of that that rings true. And, and I, I read an interesting article. I'm sure many people might have seen it. But trying to put a name to the, the feeling that a lot of us are experiencing that we've maybe been unable to put a, a finger on and that that feeling is actually grief maybe grief of kind of the loss of life as a, a normal and dependable thing that we used to have and kind of, you know, grieving the loss of that, accepting maybe what this new reality holds for us. And I don't know if that's something that you've you've seen as a term for it, but I did find that interesting and, and saw some, I felt some relatability to that. No, I think it makes perfect sense. And I, I, I like that because when we think about grief, typically we're thinking about death or somebody that we've lost. But if we take a broader definition of grief, it could be that we're struggling with the loss of just about anything. And, and in this particular case, it's the loss of freedom. It's the loss of our ability to go out and hang out with friends. It's the loss of our normal life, as it were. So, yeah, I think grief is actually a pretty accurate term for what a lot of people uh, are experiencing. Absolutely. And, and you know, speaking of this pandemic in terms of, you know, we have many gap year students and, and for us included, I know we went through this, but many of them, their gap years were disrupted by COVID. And I know that you've been doing debriefing and, you know, working with some of those students and processing what that means for them. And so if you care to share, I would love to hear some of the pieces of advice or guidance that you've been giving to those students to help them through this really tough transition home in the midst of what was supposed to be such a special experience for them. Yeah, I think, I think the first step, Margo, is really for anybody who's going through this, um, whether it be a parent, whether it be a student, uh, whether it be a former gap year student who, who was you know, sort of abruptly pulled from one environment to the, to the next and has had to deal with a very, very quick change in environment, um, I think we, we all need to validate it, what's going on with ourselves. The last thing we'd want to do is kind of stuff down these feelings that we're having. So the more you can talk them out, now that is going to be trickier, obviously, with social distancing, but even virtual talking out is better than nothing. There are many therapists now that are seeing all of their clients virtually through Zoom or other platforms. So there's definitely help available. There's also online support groups. And then obviously there's just the normal support system that an individual had pre-COVID, meaning friends, family, um, you know, uh, neighbors or, or whomever that they could be talking with uh, virtually or hopefully in, in a home environment in person. 
So yeah, the first step really is validating that this is real. This is not imagined. This is a really tricky time. Um, even older adults like myself, we've never been through this before. And this is hard on us too. This is hard for everybody. And we just need to validate and accept that it's hard. And then try to work on what are what do we have in our toolbox? What worked well in the past for us in terms of managing our stress? Some of those things are still going to be appropriate now during the COVID situation. Other things may not. You may need to tweak some things. Like I've talked to a bunch of students recently who said, you know, I really miss going to the gym. The gym for me was my therapy, I heard uh, a number of students say, and they can't go to a gym. No, but you can work out at home. And if you've got a backyard, you can do some outside working out, and then you get the benefit of the natural light and vitamin D all at the same time. But the next group of things that I'll mention are things that everybody has heard of, not everybody has done or tried. But our encouragement in working with students is that we all need, especially now, especially during any really stressful situation, hopefully we do them anyway, but especially now we should be thinking about what is our toolbox? What tools do we have in our toolbox that could help us to cope with what's going on? Uh, in the current day, but also what could be around the next bend. Because one of the things we've learned with this virus is there's a lot of surprises. There's a lot of things we didn't think would happen that have come to fruition. So we don't know where the virus is going. The virus sort of has a mind of its own, if you will. And we've got to be prepared. So to have a toolbox of coping skills could be really helpful. Now, what could be in your toolbox? Everybody's going to be different. But I say things like deep breathing should be in most people's toolbox. You could go on YouTube and learn some really good techniques for meditation or mindfulness. You should be, and I've talked to a lot of students, both in my full-time work at the college that I, where I work, and we're doing virtual sessions, by the way, like I mentioned earlier, but also with the groups that we consult with when I've been doing webinars on Coping with change is what we've been calling these, or re-entry, we call them, after being on a gap year and then, or a study abroad program and then sort of abruptly being brought back home. It's really important to think about better sleep hygiene. One of the things I'm hearing a lot of students saying is that their entire sleep schedule is reversed from what it should be. They're staying up all night playing video games or hanging out with friends online. And then they're, they're um, sleep deprived the next day or they're sleeping very late and missing some key obligations if they're currently taking online classes, for instance. Or in those cases where they aren't taking online classes, they're telling me things like, you know, I feel like I've missed half the day. I wake up at one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon and I've blown half the day. So I think better sleep hygiene is a big part to dealing with the stress of this situation. Now that doesn't mean going to bed every night at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, but it may mean going to bed at a more reasonable hour than 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. and kind of trying to keep a consistent schedule with sleep because one of the things we realize about mood is it's very sleep dependent. If we're gonna have a better mood, if we're gonna have lower stress levels, we really need adequate levels of sleep. Every person has a different need for sleep, but it's gonna vary a bit but everybody needs or, or should have some type of a regular sleep schedule. Um, family support is critical. This is a time when maybe we can reach out to people in our family or our support network that we haven't been in touch with lately because we've been busy with school or we've been busy with traveling 
or study abroad or whatever, but this is an opportunity now to really take some time and reach out to those people that mean a lot to us, but we've been sort of putting them on the back burner because we've been so busy. This is also a really good time to just search the internet for really good quality vetted websites that can kind of help us through this. There's a lot of good information on the web. Um, WebMD is one, but there's many, many other sites. The National Institute of Mental Health is really good. There's a whole bunch of sites out there that are vetted and really high quality that can give us a lot of pointers. Also, it's a time for creativity. If you've got extra time, this is a great time to pursue creative outlets, whether they be art projects or dance or music or whatever it is that you like to do to express yourself creatively. Um, regular one-on-one -on -one check-ins with friends, allies, or even potentially a therapist could be a really good thing to be doing on a pretty regular basis now. A couple more things quickly, exercise. The best antidepressant is, has been proven to be cardiovascular exercise because it has no side effects. Medicines can be helpful for some, but they're not perfect for everybody. But one thing we know about exercise, and that might just be brisk walking, it doesn't have to be anything too intense like a gym workout, um, is that it produces endorphins and it helps us to calm ourselves, it helps us to sleep better. So exercise is awesome. Another thing that's really helpful is, is daily journaling, writing out thoughts and feelings. Kind of harkens back to the point I made on validation. We don't want to deny the reality of this situation and act like I should be handling it better than I am. It's better to admit, you know what, I am really struggling. Now I have a responsibility to figure out what to do about that. Peer support is awesome. I talk to a lot of students who are keeping some kind of routine with checking in with friends, even in group settings on Zoom or other platforms is really good. Not the same as in person, but it's pretty close and it's certainly better than isolating. And then the last thing I'll mention, Margo, is fresh air and natural light. There's sort of no substitute for being outside at least an hour a day, the studies are showing, because even on cloudy days, you get some of the mental health benefits of vitamin D. So we're really encouraging people to get outside, obviously keeping social distancing routines, but to be outside in fresh air and natural light every day, minimum of an hour, even if it's cloudy out. So those are some things that we'd recommend putting in your toolbox. Yeah, and I, I, I appreciate that, Gary. And I think, you know, as many of us are finding likely more time on our hands at home, it's, you know, important to make space for these self-care techniques. And, you know, I know some people are in more fortunate positions than others in terms of having that outdoor space, but hopefully people at least have a, a balcony or, a, you know, if they're in apartments or a, a yard of sorts that they can go to, because I know that for me has been huge and, and um yeah, just trying to keep in touch with people even remotely. I, I know I personally have found myself connecting with friends that or friends or family that I haven't in years and kind of wondering why I hadn't been doing that all along. <laughs> you know, Zoom has been here the whole time. Why haven't we been doing this? So, you know, I think that those are definitely important things to keep people grounded during this time. So there is one more story that I'd kind of like to share from what a student told me recently. Um, I've been working with this particular person in counseling for quite a while, pre-COVID as well, um, and developing an appreciation for just how, how smart they are, how creative they are, and um, just how cool a lot of their ideas are about life in general. And this person shared with me um, a quick story that really helped me to formalize um, 
an idea around reframing this experience so that I can then share it with other people, hopefully, and it can be helpful for them as well. This is a student who is really quite a natural musician, can kind of pick up an instrument and teach himself um, chord progressions and things like that, and has been able to really become fairly proficient on electric guitar over the last, say, year or two. And um, I was asking him during one of our virtual sessions, how's the guitar coming? He says, well, it's really interesting you mention it because I'm you know, decent at guitar now, um, but now that I have extra time on my hands, I'm gonna teach myself how to play instead of electric um, six string, I'm gonna learn how to play bass, four string bass. And I said, that's awesome. And he said something that really stuck with me and I asked him if I could use it in uh, work that I do with students. It's a direct quote. He said, I'm trying to find the silver lining in, other, in an otherwise sucky situation. <laughs> it was kind of funny, but it really hit home for me that he said, we've got to try to find the silver lining in an otherwise sucky situation. And I said, okay, so that the, the, the silver lining for you is, is learning bass guitar. And he says, yeah. It's a goal I've had for a long time, but I always kept putting it off. I always let other things get in the way. But now I'm teaching myself and I'm going online and taking some online free YouTube instruction. And I'm really picking it up pretty quickly. And it's been a lot of fun. But he also said it's a chance for him to reconnect with somebody that he's been missing. Somebody that in his life that he knew quite well in high school, that he was a good friend with, but kind of college got in between, got in the way, if you will. And they went separate ways. And now he's starting to reconnect with this person and it's been really rewarding. So this can be, even though it's really difficult, we don't know the future, we can't predict what's happening around the next corner, so to speak, or what we'll be doing in the fall, for instance. But it can be an opportunity to practice an old skill, like he had this guy practicing his uh, electric guitar, or learning a new one, in the case of him learning uh, four-string bass. So it's a really neat time in that respect. It's a, a very challenging time in so many other ways, but let's take advantage of this very strange, very weird, at times very sad situation and see if we can challenge ourselves to accomplish a goal we've been putting off, to reconnect with somebody we've been missing, or possibly an opportunity to practice an old skill or learn a new one. And I, I thought that was a really neat message that he shared with me and that he taught me. So if you can try to find the silver lining in an otherwise sucky situation, it can take the edge off this thing from a mental health point of view. Absolutely. I know that's been kind of my personal sort of mantra or saving grace is to try to focus on, okay, yeah, I haven't had time for this or that or this house project or personal things and trying to just use that as, as yes, that silver lining to focus on and really and work towards something to especially to keep yourselves busy for the many of those out there right now who might not be in school anymore or might not be working anymore and have a lot of extra time on their hands instead of going stir crazy without having purpose to their days kind of making that purpose for themselves and in projects or you know virtual connections or whatever it might be so that's really wonderful that you had a, a student that was able to come to that conclusion the other thing that a couple of students have have kind of really reinforced with me is that when they first um, were sent home or, you know, needed to change over things into this new normal. Um, and we hope that it doesn't last forever, this new norm. We hope it just kind of shifts back to the way things were, but um, is 
that they said early on they felt like rudderless or structureless, that they were just sort of floating. They were doing a little bit here and there academic work, but it wasn't really enough to really keep them going. And it was leading to more sad thoughts and more kind of being stuck in their head and negative thinking patterns. Um, what one student told me is she said, I needed to create an artificial structure because the, the situation handed me a pretty structureless uh, profile or a pretty structureless lifestyle. And I said, that's a really neat concept. What do you mean? So, well, I started to block out hours that I made sure I was reading for pleasure, made sure I, I, I blocked out an hour a day for exercise. I made sure I blocked out an hour for meditation and for like mindfulness exercises or yoga. And then I made sure I blocked out an hour for, for Netflix because otherwise if I don't block out just an hour, I'm likely to do it for three or four. And it just starts taking, you know, biting into my daily routine so much that I don't get anything accomplished. So she gives herself permission to do an hour a day of Netflix. And I think that's really neat. Um, so she created an artificial structure. And another student told me the same kind of story without using those same words. So I do think there is some wisdom in creating these artificial structures that will help us stay sort of productive. We don't have to be perfect. We shouldn't try to be productive all the time. We should give ourselves permission, in fact, to do nothing here and there, to kind of wind down and, and process what's going on, but to create some kind of an artificial structure with at least a few blocks of time each day where we do purposeful, meaningful things. And then that whole thing about sleep hygiene again, because virtually every student I've been talking to during this has said they had pretty poor sleep habits at the beginning, but they're gradually tweaking them. So. Anything anybody can do to get a better sleep um, structure, the better. And then the last thing I'll say is we really need to watch out for unhealthy habits creeping in, whether that's, you know, drinking to excess or uh, smoking weed or, you know, anything unhealthy, even if it's unhealthy eating to excess. We should really be on the lookout for that because it's very, very easy to use substances, be they food or drugs or alcohol to try to cope with this situation and use it as a medication. Um, the way we put it is those things should be a celebration, not a medication. And some people during this time have been using them as medication. So we really need to be on the watch for that. Absolutely. I think those are all great tips. And, you know, I know personally, I'm someone that thrives in structure. And so that's, you know, a very good point. I think having a schedule for your day and keeping those habits that might be less productive for your mental and physical health at bay or at in moderation or whatever, it you know, works for, for each person. But Gary, I also want to talk a little bit about, I guess, students right now, you know, I think those are all such wonderful wonderful tips for people as they are currently in this space. But I, I do think it's, it's I imagine, somewhat anxiety-inducing for students as they are, whether they are seniors in high school who are at home right now or college-age students who are home from school and, and wondering what their future holds. As people are looking ahead to the fall and whether that's planning a gap year or wondering what's going to happen to their college, you know, I guess any thoughts you have or advice for those students as there is so much in uncertainty moving forward? You know, it's a really great question. And just today, um, the college where I work uh, full-time um, had a meeting. A large number of staff attended the meeting. It wasn't a meeting for students. It was for staff held by the president of the college. 
And at this meeting, the president um, was very clear in terms of the fact that we don't know what's happening in the fall, that in a sense, the virus is what's running the process, not, not human beings. And we've got to react to the virus and respond to it. Um, so it's important that um, colleges at this time, as you can well imagine, put their heads together and, and really um, divide and conquer, if you will, like take up, take up all these issues and work on them in small groups to try to figure out what are our strategies if we're going to be back in a physical space altogether or if we're going to be all online or somewhere in the middle. So as far as breaking that down to an individual level, I think it's not that different that you should get very realistic about the reality of the situation, that we can't deny the reality of what's going on. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't tell what's exactly going to happen yet. But we can, we can surmise that there's any number of eventualities, and it wouldn't hurt to probably write out a list of what you think those eventualities could be that I might be going to college in the fall in a physical way that it happens year after year and it could be quite normal. I might be going to a, a partial online, a partial physical uh, setting in a college environment, let's say, um, or I might be doing virtual uh, exclusively or anywhere in between those. So there's lots of different options. So I think you might wanna write out what some of the realities are, some of the eventual possibilities might be and then come up with plans and to have a plan A for those, uh, the outcome that you really are hoping most for, but to also have a plan B and then also to have a plan C. And to realize that, you know, those situations are not forever. So yeah, we may be stuck in the fall going with our second or third option, but to know that that's probably fairly short term. At some point, this situation will get behind us. A vaccine will be discovered and proven, or any number of other uh, therapeutics may come onto the market, making it a much more manageable situation. Now, obviously, we hope that happens prior to the fall, but we don't know. So we should be prepared for it not happening prior to the fall. But to put it out on paper, almost like a spreadsheet, if you would, but then to have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C, and to not uh, be hyper disappointed if plan B is the, is the path you have to pursue or plan C, and keeping it in perspective that if I may only need to go for my second or third option for a fairly short term period of time, and then I may be able to you know, launch my plan A again. So I think to have something on paper could be very helpful and to then maybe discuss it with friends and family and see what their plan A is, see what their plan B is for the future and their plan C, see if you th some of those things can begin to coordinate and line up with one another. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I something that I've found some, I, I don't know if I'd say comfort, but maybe <laughs> maybe discomfort in is that, you know, for those students maybe that are in this boat, we're all kind of in this together. You know, I know it's affecting every person different in very different ways, but you know, for the students who are looking at school for the fall or, you know, maybe at a gap year, everyone that is in either of those boats is gonna be kind of dealing with the same outcomes this fall most likely. 
or have, you know, people to commiserate with that are kind of in that same boat. They're not alone. You know, hopefully they can find something that is a good fit for them. And yeah, I guess for for students who I think maybe might be considering a gap year right now when they haven't been in the future, I know we kind of discussed that, but I guess what is your thinking about that? Or, you know, I know that online school is hard for a lot of students depending on their learning style and, and ability to kind of use that form of learning. Yeah, you know, online learning is sort of a blessing and a curse in a way. Um, some students I've talked to, not many, uh, a couple have told me that they actually prefer online learning because it gives them more, yeah, it gives them more time to kind of process things and to reach out to faculty um, or, or tutors or other people who can be of assistance in a kind of non-threatening, less awkward way than face-to-face interaction. But the, the vast majority struggle with online. Um, they find that it's just not as genuine, not as dynamic not as fluid, that they really miss the interaction with their classmates before, during, and after class, the kind of, you know, sessions in the in the cafeteria where you're discussing what you learned in class or discussing what you watched on Netflix last night or whatever the case may be. Um, but they're really missing a lot of that spontaneity that a college campus or that, a, you know, a high school experience uh, may afford. Um, and I, I totally understand that, and I get that. So the key is, if you, number one, to, to find the silver lining in an otherwise sucky situation, to go back with that phrase again, is, is to make it as genuine and spontaneous as possible. So it may mean more one-on-one phone or Zoom sessions with faculty to make it more real and one-on-one. It may mean some informal discussion groups with friends after class or uh, before class. It's gonna take more effort to get the same or similar outcome through online because it's just definitely not the same as in person. And Mm -hmm. faculty know that, faculty have been kind of commiserating, saying that it's a real struggle for them. Students have been commiserating, but we can improve the online experience by getting more active and being a little bit more disciplined about how passionate and uh, how much we're actively pursuing knowledge. That's really hard to do in an online format, especially if you're isolated at home, but it can be done. And some students who have done those tweaking, those changes to make it a more active learning process have actually come out saying that, yeah, you know, online isn't perfect, but there's some benefits to it and to not be so negative about the online experience, that there's certain positives connected with it as well. Yeah, I think just being flexible with that is is huge and knowing that this isn't going to be forever. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know how long it's going I, I to be. I think that's super important. <laughs> it won't be forever. And I would, I guess, for, um, in regards to the maybe potential gap year students out there listening, I would guess that your thinking is just those students also are probably going to need to be flexible with what their gap year might hold. And that, you know, if they can't travel in the fall, maybe they can in the spring or just having those plan A's, B's and C's. You know, this whole situation is, if it's if it's anything, it's a lesson in flexibility. I mean, look at the changes that everyone has had to make. I've been so impressed with the students that I've been interacting with, that changes they've made in a positive direction, those that have come home early from college and have entered the healthcare field to help out in their local community as a certified nursing assistant or gotten a part-time job in a grocery store. I mean, 
the kind of service ideal that a lot of students have taken on, to not only to make ends meet, to make some extra money, but to also serve humanity has been incredibly rewarding and, and impressive to see. It's quite remarkable. Um, so yes, it's been an exercise in being flexible, but also to giving back the number of students that I've worked with who are making masks at home for their local first responders is remarkable. And I encourage that when I'm talking to students one-on-one, -on -one, that if you're not doing something to help out, maybe that's a challenge that you might consider doing that. We can all help in a small way to move this situation along a little bit better for somebody or possibly even a little bit faster for ourselves. Um, faster in the sense that time goes faster when we're busy and, and when we are productive and giving back. So uh, yeah, I think it's been an exercise of flexibility. Now, in terms of future planning, flexibility, uh, if, you, if you kind of like take it in and digest it and make it part of your soul, make it part of who you are, you're gonna be more nimble in the future. You're gonna be able to shift and make necessary changes quicker in the future. That's a really good strength. That's like a resilience trait, if you will. Um, and, and that, yeah, so this is a tough experience, but it's actually benefiting people psychologically if they tweak it and make it work for them. They're, they'll actually come out of this stronger and more resilient, more grit, more ability to be flexible and nimble when it comes to making decisions and going with the flow in the future. Absolutely. I, I think that this virus is going to teach us many things that we probably can't even anticipate at this point. But I could not agree with you more that I think above all else, it's it's flexibility and, and being able to just roll with whatever this is going to bring us in the future. Because for everyone, it's a lot of uncertainty and unknowns. And, you know, I think that I know that on most gap year programs, that that lesson of flexibility is is one of the highlights and, and main things that I think people learn from those experiences. So, you know, we're, we're all going through it together and, and being being flexible together. But do you have any final thoughts in regards to, you know, just mental health in this time or in regards to gap year age students and population? Any any final things to share? Yeah, just, just I think I'm going to go back to what you, you were just saying um, about, you know, how we're all going to emerge from this hopefully more flexible and more ability to like go with the flow or, um, you know, be, be a little bit more at peace with adversity. Um, I think that gap years, you're absolutely right, um, teach people how to deal with ambiguity, like confusion. They teach people to have a sense of delayed gratification that, you know, I can't get what I want in the moment that I want it a lot of times when I'm traveling abroad in different cultural contexts um, or even when I'm traveling domestically. Uh, you know, I can't have everything I want go the way that I want to because I'm traveling and there's just so much uncertainty. You know, one positive spin on this, one way of looking at a silver lining might be that in reality, this situation that we're all enduring and going through, hopefully we're learning to thrive, even though that's a stretch for some, we're not just surviving, hopefully we can learn to thrive, um, is it's, this could be preparation for a challenge coming down the road in your life the challenge of hopefully gap year or, or travel, that if we can manage this, it's going to make our experience on a gap year program or a travel program that much more enriching because we are going to already have, if you will, front-loaded our abilities to deal with ambiguity, 
our, we would have front-loaded abilities to deal with uncertainty. And we'll, we'll be better at dealing with, uh, you know, things that we can't predict or things that we can't really uh, constantly have in our own control. There's a lot of things we can control, but there's a lot of things we can't control. I think this situation is going to teach us that. So I think we're going to emerge stronger um, when this is all over. But I, one way of looking at this is, yeah, maybe I didn't get to do the experience I wanted to. I didn't get my plan A, but I learned a whole bunch of skills that are going to help me in the future. Absolutely, Gary. I think that's a great, a great positive lining to this as well and, and way to frame this experience in all of our heads. Really appreciate you sharing that and just overall appreciate you joining us today on the pod. And thank you to everyone out there for listening. So you can find Gary Robinson and his colleagues at P3 Mental Health online at p3mentalhealth.com and on Twitter and Instagram at P3 Mental Health. You can find us here at Gap Year Radio on Instagram and Facebook at Gap Year Radio or online at gapyearradiopodcast.com. You can email us your gap year questions or comments at gapyearradio at gmail.com. And lastly, you can download our show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you have a moment, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can discover Gap Year Radio. So thank you again, Gary. I know that you have a very busy schedule and a lot going on in the midst of this. So really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you, Margo, and take care and stay safe. You as well. Stay healthy. Stay healthy.